I want to teach tonight on this subject of deliverance. As we are coming through the end of this year, the Lord brought something before me to share with you. I'm titling this message, Dusty Demons and Why Deliverance Stalls Out. I want to go to Genesis chapter 3. Oftentimes, I believe we have this struggle. We receive prayer. We receive deliverance ministry individually or corporately. Some of us may receive deliverance ministry tonight. We read the Bible about Jesus' deliverance, yet we find ourselves struggling with patterns. It seems as though the devil comes out and then the devil comes back. Does anybody ever have that experience? I said, Lord, why does that Jezebel demon hate the anointing? He said, because the anointing will destroy her throne. That demon, which, by the way, operates through men and women, leaders and lay people alike, I, I've known leaders who are Jezebel, and there's lay people who are Jezebel. But when that demon grips somebody, that demon wants to shut down the real anointing to release a false anointing, false fire. And so there's all kind of demons that are anti-anointing spirits. But I started to notice these same spirits would manifest again and again and again. So I said, Lord, how are we going to deal with this? He said, there's two things you need to do. He said, number one, you need to start praying because all strategy comes from prayer. So you say, uh, uh, Ryan, that, that's me. I'm dealing with cyclical stuff in my life. Then I'm going to say to you, start with prayer. You better start praying. Lord, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. Lord, I keep, I, I go and I get prayer and I feel better about the thing. And then on Monday, I feel bad again. And then I feel better on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I feel bad again. And then I feel better Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, I feel bad again. You need to go to praying. Because when you start to yield your mind in prayer, God will start talking to you. Now, sometimes God won't tell you deep things. Sometimes God will just say, go talk to so-and-so. These are fortified places that protect demonic entities. That's what Paul is speaking of there. Effective deliverance doesn't mean just expelling the demon. It means ripping down the stronghold, dismantling the demonic armor, and it's going to require a reformation of our thinking, of our teaching, and of our believing. This is why one of the major reasons I believe that people stay bound. They get the spirit cast out, but they don't get rid of the dusty thinking. And I also believe it's one of the reasons why false prophets and false teachers that create doctrines of demons are so effective. Because your life is the result of what you believe. I see you've been scattered. I see you've been roaming, going from place to place and thing to thing. I see the confusion that's tried to grip your mind, but I'm a healer and my name is Jesus. I send my word to heal you. I send my word to deliver you. And when my word is released over your life, demons have to go. When my word is released over your life, your mind shifts. And so tonight, I'm saying unto you, you are about to clear the dust out of your mind. You're about to clear the dust out of your thinking. I prophesy that every dusty place, every cyclical attack, every bondage, every mental blockade, every infirmity, every weakness, every attack, every demonic pattern has to break tonight. In the name of Jesus, God is asking you, will you think different? God is asking you, will you move different? God is asking you, will you believe different? God is asking you, will you 
will you choose different? God is asking you, will you see different? God is saying unto you, I'm putting you at the pool of Bethesda and the water is troubled. All you need to do is jump in the pool. Have I not said, I'll deliver you by the washing of the water of my word. And tonight I'm loosing my word over your mind. I'm loosing my word over your situation. I'm loosing my word over your family. All you got to do is listen unto me. All you got to do is believe me. It's time to work that word. Come on. I wish I had five people that'll agree with me tonight that we're going from glory. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Don Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Well, who knew that we were going to be talking about dusty demons today? I suppose I did because I listened to this message, but at any rate, I'm sure this was the last thing that you expected to hear uh, near the beginning of the new year. So happy new year. <laughs> We're going to be listening to this message today and looking at it. And I thought it would be uh, another good uh, lesson or example to use in order for us to look at scripture and to see if what is being ministered here is agreeing with what scripture says. If the extra biblical revelation is agreeing with scripture, I've talked about deliverance many times before, and I'm sure Lord willing, I'll continue to talk about deliverance and to point back to the true deliverance that is found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at any rate, we're going to listen to this today. And if you're not familiar with this individual, this is Ryan Lestrange. This is the leader I was formerly under for almost two decades of my life. He considers himself to be an apostle. And so we're going to be looking at this teaching today that he gave right before the beginning of the new year for 2024. And it was titled, Dusty Demons and Why Deliverance Stalls Out. Now, I hope that, as always, you'll find this helpful, and maybe this will be helpful for those that are listening and you're not familiar with this movement, and maybe this will help you to use this as an exercise to help you have conversations with loved ones that are involved in these types of teachings and take things back to Scripture, as always, and say, well, help me understand, or have you considered A, B, C, or D when you're talking about these things and going back to the Word and and why these things don't match up with what's taught in Scripture? And for those who have come out of this movement, I hope that you find this an equally helpful exercise to point you again back to what Scripture says and to help you understand that you are easily able to do your own due diligence to just open the Bible, find good study Bibles, find some reputable resources so that you can understand Scriptures better, and that way you won't be led astray. So with that, let's go ahead and get right into this. I have some notes as I listen to the entire message that Ryan ministered. And so there's certain things I want to point out. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to to point out every single little detail, but there are some things I'll point out along the way that I picked up on. Now, at the beginning of this teaching, he says that the Lord brought something before him to give to the people, and he tells them a title, as I said, Dusty Demons and Why Deliverance Stalls Out. The first scripture that he goes to is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, and I want to read this to you right now. He reads these to the people, but I'm going to read these to you from my own study Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Ryan points out that the curse of Satan was that he would be a creature inhabiting the dust. And he talks about snakes crawling on the ground without legs. 
And as I was listening to this, I knew where he was going to go with this because of man being made of the dust of the earth. And sure enough, that's where he went. And he says this was not just a physical curse, but this was a spiritual anatomy. He said that demons need the proper environment in which to live. Hence, he's going to say that they like to live in dusty places. And we'll get to that in just a minute, and I'll play another clip as we go. But I want to stop here for a moment, because what's really interesting is that he's going to use these particular passages, and this is typical in the type of that of teaching that he does, is that he will use particular passages in order to prove his extra-biblical revelation. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, is a curse on the serpent. It's not a curse on man in that area, though there is a curse placed on humanity because of Adam's sin. And we can even know that in Romans 5, that the curse was death, that there was spiritual death that came. And and even we suffer physical death because of the curse that came, and no one escapes physical death. But we see in verse 14, this is specifically talking to Satan and to the serpent. And we're seeing here that the serpent is no longer going to walk as the cattle did and such. And there's some biblical scholars that say, that possibly snakes at that point before the fall actually had legs. But now we're seeing that the snake or the serpent is going to slither around on the ground and they're going to eat dust. But what Ryan is going to do in his teaching, he's going to validate his teaching by using Genesis 3.14 in order to say, well, this talks about eating the dust of the ground. And since man is made of dust, as he'll go on to point out certain passages, that that means that is what demons do, is that they are inhabiting the dusty places of man that you see, you really can't seem to get resolved in your life even after you get a demon cast out. Now, what's interesting, though, I want to point out a couple of things, and then I'm going to refer you to an article on AnswersInGenesis.com. What is most beautiful about this entire thing after he lists and, and t- gives the curse for each individual involved is Genesis 3.15, and that is the very first prophecy that is given to point back to Christ. And Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So this is continuing on with the curse that's directed at the serpent and at Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we're seeing here the first prophetic word that's spoken that's that's foretelling of the coming Messiah that will come and who has come. So he's promised in the Old Testament and he's been revealed in the New Testament through Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, truly God and truly man. Now, the other thing I want to point you to is this article on AnswersInGenesis.com. And I, I really appreciated this article and I'll put the link for it in the description below. But there is an article uh, regarding left in the dust. Do snakes really eat dust like Genesis says? And they go through here and talk about this uh, specifically and this uh, verse in Genesis 3, 14 and 15 and the and the Proto-Evangelium or the first gospel as we're, we're just talking about the first prophecy that was revealed about Christ who would come and has come. And they go on to discuss different verses here uh, regarding Satan and the serpent. But I want to touch on really quickly the curse pronounced upon the serpent of eating the dust is a result of it now crawling on its belly in the dust. They say in this article, it used to be like one of the cattle and beasts of the field, as I mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 and 14, but now it will crawl on its belly and eat dirt. More importantly, this imagery of eating dust is symbolic of a creature low, despicable, abhorrent, and degraded. 
And they reference Micah chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. God prophesies of a time when the nations will come crawling to him. Those verses say, The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. So their point in this, as they summarize at the bottom of this article, a proper understanding of the context, literary, historical, and theological, helps us understand what God meant when he cursed the serpent. There is no contradiction here, but rather a wonderful promise of victory by a risen Savior. This has nothing to do with demons dwelling in the dusty places of your life. In fact, I think the argument could be made based from Scripture that if you want to refer to, quote, dusty places, let's talk about sin instead of um, blaming the devil for everything and basically saying, well, because you're not walking in victory, it's because you just haven't gotten uh, a good understanding of deliverance yet. Now, there are things that he'll say that are true, that he'll say that we need to go back to the Word of God and such, but then he's, he's appealing to extra-biblical revelation. So I wanted to point that one out, but we're going to keep going on. He continues about a little over nine minutes in. I'll play this clip for you right now. He talks about cultivating an environment for demons to thrive, and that environment does not always change at the point of our prayer experience. And so demons need the proper environment in which to live in. One of the reasons why we struggle and we go and we get deliverance, but then we find the cycle repeating itself again and again and again. It's because our lives have cultivated an environment in which demons can thrive in. And I want to say to you that environment does not always change at the point of our prayer experience. Ryan goes on to reference Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 and Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, when he talks about that demons are dusty and that they live in the dusty space. And he says this is a prophetic picture based on these verses that he lists with Genesis Psalm 103 and Genesis 3. And he goes on to say that where you are dusty is where demons dwell. He says where you are demonized is where you are dusty. Jesus said you will live in the dust of the earth. He was giving us a spiritual warfare encyclopedia. If I want to find demons, I've got to look for dust. If I want to understand where demons are in my life, I've got to look at the dusty areas. Now you say, Apostle, I don't know where you're going. Well, I'm going to show it to you right now. Uh, the Bible tells us that man is made of the dust of the earth. In Genesis 2, 7, the Bible declares, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So we see that man was made of the dust of the earth. We are comprised of the dust of the earth. The Bible declares in Psalms 103, 14, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. It says again in the book of Genesis chapter 3, and by the sweat of the brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since it is from where you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. And so there is a prophetic picture here that demons are dusty. Demons don't live in places of spiritual renewal. Demons Demons don't live in places of the anointing of God. Demons don't live in places where prophecy is flowing with frequency and tenacity and accuracy. But demons have a preferred environment. They live in the dusty spaces. The Bible declares man is made of the dust of the earth. So what it's saying to us is this, is that where you are demonized is in your dustiness. Demons live 
in the places of our lives that have not yet been reformed to look like Jesus. Okay, so let's stop for that just a second and let's think about this. Because he just read some verses, Genesis 2-7, Genesis 3-19. He read Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, that God remembering that we are made of dust because he created us. So where in those passages does it say that demons dwell in dusty places? And with us being made of dust, if we're made from the dust of the earth, which scripture says that we are, then how will we ever be truly and fully delivered from indwelling demons according to, the, to his teaching? I want you to ask yourself that. And if this is teaching anybody about sanctification, or if this is basically driving people back to the teaching of deliverance and saying, you need to have demons cast out of you as a born-again believer— you know, one of the things, and I think I've mentioned this before in, an, in a previous episode, but one of the things that's interesting now when, when you come out of this movement and the haze begins to lift, the fog begins to lift, if you will, the proverbial fog, and you begin to go back to Scripture and see what it says in context. I mean, we can even look at Romans 7. What, does, what would he or others that would hold to this teaching, what would they do with Romans 7? Because Romans 7 Paul makes it clear that there's no good thing that lives within his flesh, and he doesn't say it's a demon either. He's acknowledging it's a sinful nature. I would encourage you to read Romans 6, 7, and 8. If you're going to do a, a particular look at, in reference to what we're talking about today, go to Romans chapter 7. Read Romans 6 prior to that and just see what Paul is saying there. But he acknowledges that there's nothing good in his flesh, but he doesn't say that's a demon, and he doesn't instruct the believers in Rome to cast demons out of themselves. He's acknowledging that there is a sinful nature that is in hostility towards the spirit. And this is something that we have to deal with as believers in Christ. We have victory through Christ and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us in the process while we're going through this life. So my point is saying all that, and, I'm, and there's other passages that you can find as well too, but I think what the question should be in this is, is where does sanctification play into this? Because that would seem to be the conversation that needs to be had with believers, as opposed to saying, well, you, you have dusty places in your life, and those dusty places are where demons dwell. And when you get demons cast out of you, you're not taking care of the dusty places, and that's why demons can come back says no place in scripture. I mean, people are going to go to Matthew 12 and he, and he will go to Matthew 12, just like other leaders will in the deliverance movement, talking about how when a demon leaves its dwelling place, which is a human body, and it goes out into the dry places and finds nothing. And then it comes back and brings seven spirits with it. And that, that the condition of that person is seven times worse than it was before the demon left but you're dealing with someone that's not a born-again believer as far as being indwelt by the Holy Spirit in that context. This is pre-Pentecost. This is before the Holy Spirit is sent to indwell. And so I think that that's a feasible argument to make. But you know, if, if you're going to bring this, this teaching of, well, you know, we're made from the dust, therefore demons hang out in dusty places. And even though you get deliverance or you have a prayer experience, doesn't mean that you can have deliverance then I don't know how you're ever going to truly be fully delivered from indwelling demons, according to this teaching, when you are made from the dust. And to dust you and I shall return. 
So how do you get rid of those dusty places if you're made of dust? <laughs> so anyway, we could go keep going on and on with that. But there's the next clip I want to play for you that he continues this teaching at about close to 11 and a half minutes in. So let's see what he says from here. So the struggle we have is dealing with the dusty places of our lives. When we deal with deliverance, we often examine the expulsion of a spirit to understand deliverance that the most primary or basic form of deliverance is the illustration of authority that we release the authority of Christ into a situation that by the blood of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, by the word of God, we command demon powers to be loosed out of our lives. We command devils to come out and the Bible declares that the devil has to obey the name of Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because all power is in that name. All authority is in that name. So when the church exercises the authority of the name of Jesus, demons most must obey. But the problem we often have is that is the totality of our deliverance paradigm. We believe that deliverance is simply the expulsion of a demon, but we must understand the invitation before we deal with the expulsion because there is an invitation that creates a habitation as we're going through through the process of life, life happens to us. We are go through a divorce. We are abused. Uh, we have a fina financial calamity. We go through different areas and experiences. We have certain appetites and proclivities. The Bible speaks of the prophet Elijah, that he was a man of like passions, yet he had fervent prayer. It's telling me this. It's telling me that Elijah dealt with the same depression we could deal with. Elijah dealt with the same lust we could deal with. Elijah had moments in his life that he wanted to quit but the Bible is showing us the difference between dust and divinity you see those areas of life that have been that have been programmed into us by trauma by abuse by situations that are demonic they have formed uh, patterns in our life that do not look like Jesus so a couple of things I, I would like to know that what he means by that's the difference between dust and divinity I mean I I'm assuming he's referring to Jesus there, but if you're making if you're making a statement like that in the in the reference or the context of what he's saying, it almost sounds like you're applying divinity to a person, to to us, not just to God. So I'm hoping that's not what he means. I don't think he does, but it's unclear there. And then the other question I would have too, when God came to Elijah in First Kings after he fled from Jezebel and he hid in a cave under the threat of death, did God cast a demon out of Elijah? Uh, Elijah dealt with depression. He dealt with anxiety because of what he had just faced and the threat that Jezebel sent to him, rightfully so. But it never says in those verses in that passage at all of the account between God and Elijah that he cast a demon out of him and got rid of the dusty place in him. You see how there we have to take these things, we have to follow these things logically into their end back to Scripture. We don't see this applicable in this as far as this being explained or being taught anywhere in the passages. He goes on to say that um, deliverance stalls out because we do not sweep out the dust. And about 13 minutes and 40 seconds in, he says the most difficult part is not removing the demon, but dealing with the habitation for the demon. From here, he actually starts talking about the church that he started in my area. Now, he doesn't say the name, but I know what he's talking about when I'm listening to it, because he says he started a church in an area, 
And he says an interesting phrase here. I wanted to play this and I want to talk about something for just a minute. When I began to preach on spiritual warfare, I had started a brand new church. And the church was in an area of a religious stronghold. And I noticed we would get to it. The, the devil would let us get to a certain place. And when we got to a certain place, warfare would erupt. And I began to notice it was cyclical. We, we'd get the victory over it. We'd have a Jezebel somewhere. We'd deal with the Jezebel. We'd get it. They didn't get delivered. We'd get delivered from them. And then we'd be cruising along. And three months, six months, nine months later, there'd be a brand new Jezebel with a different outfit on, but the exact same thing going on again. So this was the part he was talking about the church I once attended that he founded. But I don't know if you caught this. He says at that church that Satan would let them go to a certain point and then this person with a Jezebel spirit. I have a, a workbook in front of me from a demonology class that he taught, and he wrote this book. It was used in some of the curriculum that I taught in a Bible college, and I was taught this myself under his ministry. At any rate, I mean, all these different spirits are talked about, and there's additional traits that are given to these these demonic entities that are not found in Scripture, and which is wild in and of itself that all these different traits are assigned and ascribed and so everybody there's so many it, it's so much is talked about Jezebel that she almost sounds om, omnipresent uh, because so many people apparently have a Jezebel spirit I think we need to think about that too if you're going to ascribe something to everybody like that and then there's such a focus on the demonic and one of the things in this message you, you will not hear is the gospel you will not hear the gospel proclaimed you will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached you will not hear the call of repentance. And he'll talk about repent. We'll get there in just in, in a little bit. But what he says repentance is, it's a big red flag. But I want you to pay attention to what he just said, getting back on uh, on the path here. He said Satan would, would let them get so far, let us get so far. And then this person would rise up and had a Jezebel spirit and would operate. You'll notice in these movements that what happens is Satan is made to be sovereign. There's not very any little talk of the sovereignty of God about him and his omnipotence and his omniscience and his omnipresence, talking about the attributes of God. But when you're talking about his omnipotence and his absolute, his sovereignty over the world that he created, you will not hear that taught. Instead, what you're hearing is, well, Satan let us go so far and then this happened. So there's a huge focus, heavy focus on the demonic. And then there is this undertone major undertone of the sovereignty of Satan, that Satan is the one that's that's doing all of these things. Well, where's God in the middle of all this? Because it's almost as if God has a hands-off approach or that the, the talk is, well, we've been left with all this power. And Ryan will say that too later on. He'll say, Jesus said that you've been given all power and authority. Actually, no, that's not what the scripture says. It says all power and authority, according to Matthew 28, was given to Jesus. Jesus said that of himself. And then he delegated his disciples, his apostles, to go and to make disciples in other nations. He did not bestow upon them all power and authority. Jesus alone is the one that has all power and authority because he's God. So this is why I'm talking about this today and not necessarily picking on what Ryan's doing, but I'm very familiar with the, the teachings and how he teaches things because of being under his ministry for almost two decades of my life. But I can pick up on certain cues of the things he taught. Some of the stuff he's regurgitating, recycling back into other teachings now and putting different words on it. So now we're talking about dusty demons. 
So I want to point this out because you need to pay attention to, to what people are saying. Just because someone uses a Bible verse does not mean that it's what that Bible verse means. Just because someone says they're getting this extra biblical revelation, that does not mean that they're getting it from God. And when they're ascribing so much sovereignty to Satan, that should be a major concern. Now, Ryan goes on to talk about the principality of religion over the area that that I was in and how he battled it and that it needed to be cut off. And he states that it is an anti-anointing spirit. He says the anointing destroys the yoke. So this is a reference to a, a passage in Isaiah And I ask the question, is that what this verse means? Because he applies that to the anointing in a service. And this is something that was done for years, that the anointing destroys the yoke. And so whenever you have people that are getting healed or delivered in church services or demons cast out of them, that it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Again, this has been a teaching of his for years. And so I just want to ask you this. When you hear this passage, this verse from Isaiah 10, 27 I would encourage you to go and do a Bible study on this, to look and see the context. It's it's in context to Israel and the Assyrians, and to look and see, is this applying today as far as telling us that in church services that the anointing destroys the yoke of uh, whatever is going on that we say is the yoke and that our anointing is what destroys it? Is it possible to look at this passage and if we want to apply it today in, in encouraging us that to know that as born-again believers that God sets us free, it's by the power of the gospel that we are set free and that uh, as believers that we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, that no one has a special anointing in and of themselves and that there's no hierarchy with the anointing and there's no gimmick or there's no formula for you to get the quote anointing. I think that there's different areas that you can look at with that. But I know for years I heard that verse quoted many times. And in the reference of what he's saying, uh, talking about destroying the spirit of Jezebel, that the anointing destroys the yoke of Jezebel, I would just point you back to the context of the verse. Another thing, too, and again, this is not to pick on Ryan because he's not the only one that does this. But I want you to notice that when he he ministers or he talks, he tells many stories about himself or at the expense of others. And so there's things that he tells in there that at the same time are also contradictory when you're listening to him because he begins to talk about people that uh, are looking behind them when when people when they get prayed for. And if they're looking behind them before they fall down, then that's not the anointing. But then he says that when somebody's praying for him, that he makes sure to look behind him and to see if there's a chair behind him, because that's the app. That's what he does as an apostle, kind of, kind of making a joke that he looks behind him before he falls down, but he tells stories about himself quite often or at the, or he'll tell stories at the expense of others. So again, he goes on to talk about uh, the, the true and the counterfeit. And and I want to play this for you again, because it's again, going to tie back into what we, what we discussed a little bit ago about the sovereignty of Satan. The earth is being blanketed by the false because Satan is trying to withhold the authentic. Because the move of God that God wants to bring, there's going to have to be sharp prophets that see well. And we're going to have to get beyond the lust for personal prophecy. Let me just, this is not in my notes, but some of you want to always get a prophetic word. You have got to learn to pray for yourself. Well, I just need a word. I need a word. I'll give you a word. Shut up and start praying. Start praying. 
Quit complaining because when you complain, you're dusty. And when you're dusty, demons come into the dusty places in your life. You need to start praying where so-and-so gave me a word. And you know what I've noticed? Most of the people that go and seek the words are the ones that are not faithful. So again, there's another focus on the demonic and giving power to Satan. And I, I think that that feeds into the, the sovereignty of Satan. And notice how he's talking about the true and the counterfeit. I, I found some irony in, in this teaching, honestly, when I was listening to it, talking about recognizing the counterfeit from the truth. And to, to be fair, he does about 26 minutes and he talks about getting back to the word of God. And that's where our victory is. And I would agree. I would agree with that. That's where our victory is. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in the word of God. This is how we renew our mind, uh, that we that we read the word of God, that we're in among believers that are um, holding to the word of God properly, rightly divided, that we are under solid biblical teaching, that we're not just an island to ourselves. It is so important that we get back to the word of God. And that, and that truly is where a victory is because it's testifying of Christ. This is the, it's proclaiming the gospel and reminding us from what we've been saved. We've been saved from the wrath of God. For those of us who are in Christ, we've been saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 9, 10 talks about this. So we, we are encouraged in our faith and understanding we have been saved from the wrath of God that was rightfully uh, for our judgment um, in our rebellion and sin against God, we've been granted repentance. God has granted repentance according to his gospel, according to his word, and by his spirit, we have been regenerated. We've been given faith and we have uh, been born again. We have been made, we have been adopted and we've been made children of God, no longer children of wrath. And so um, I, I do uh, believe that we need to get back to the word and and being fair in, in him saying that. And he also talks about 27 minutes in that dealing with demons in carnal belief systems. And he talks about making dusty places in your life by following people who compromise. About 28 minutes in, he mentions about demons are dusty and come into the places that believe lies. Demons are dusty. They come into the spaces of our lives that believe lies. Some of you don't believe what the Bible says about you. You don't believe that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You look in the mirror and say, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're, you're worn out. God can use you. And you can look at me and say, oh, God could use Apostle Ryan. Oh, God could use Ashina. Oh, God could use Pastor Tay. But when you look at you, you see your experience. But see, that's dust. God wants to renew your mind. So when you see yourself, you realize you are made in the image and the likeness of God and God doesn't make no junk therefore you are not junk but Satan lives in that space and so you get prayed over again and again and again but stay stuck stay stuck and you don't advance and you think well the prayer's not where the prayer's working but the demon's coming back because the dust is still there that's where Satan lives in these patterns of carnal thought for deliverance to be successful, we have to begin by removing that which defends the enemy in our thought life and in our belief system. Let me make it simple. You go down for prayer for perversion. But then on Tuesday, you're talking to your friend. And your friend says, you know, God can't deliver you from that. And you say, yeah, I know. 
I guess this is just who I am. You begin to allow a system of thought that defends the enemy. And so you believe that the prayer did not work. The prayer worked, but the dust was still there as an invitation for the demon to come back to. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This is Paul, the great apostle, preaching on spiritual warfare. And he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So Paul is teaching there that one part of warfare is the demolishing of strongholds. Now, we need to understand that a stronghold that Paul is speaking of is a place of satanic habitation. Now, I want to say a couple things about this, because there are people who, when they talk to individuals that, that believe in deliverance ministry, if you listen to someone on the flip side that says, you know, God can't deliver you from that in the sense of you don't need a demon cast out of you. I think that that, that context needs to be made aware. God can most certainly deliver us from sins and when we are coming to him and our hearts have been transformed by him and um, our desires change, the Holy Spirit, by his power, according to Romans 8, 13, we can understand that he helps us to kill sin. At the same time, we live in a fallen world. We are not yet glorified. We are not yet perfected. And yet we know that that is promised when we're in in Christ, and that that is a future promise we can look towards in being glorified, that we are free from the presence of sin, that we are free from all the things in this fallen world, that there is healing in the future, in eternity with God, but we're not promised certain things right now. Those are not guaranteed promises that we have here and now, but we also know that those are promises that we have to look forward to in eternity as believers in Christ. But just notice some of the things that he says there and talking about the dusty places. Then, and he's saying that, you know, you coming down for prayer, asking God to deliver you from lust or whatever you're coming for. Are these people also hearing about biblically being discipled and knowing what scripture says about the works of the flesh, about the sins of the flesh? And he's going and saying, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five, another common passage that many of us are familiar with and have heard in times past with spiritual warfare and things when Paul is referencing that again, for time's sake, it would be good. Go to, go to get you a good study Bible, go to some commentaries, start to do some studies on some of these verses that you've learned about for years, read the verses before them and after them, at least 10 verses before and 10 verses after invest in some good study Bibles, get some commentaries, begin to do some studying on these passages so that you can have a better grasp of what's going on. Listen to a, a teacher of the Greek or the Hebrew, depending on if you're reading Old Testament versus New Testament, so that you can have an understanding of some of these words and the context of them, that you can have a better grasp on Scripture. And you're growing in your fellowship when you're doing this. This is not religious or legalistic in doing this or means that you have a religious spirit because you want to understand the text. This is a part of your fellowship with God. And if we're going to glorify God and, glor and glorify Christ, we have to know what these passages say properly. If we misrepresent God through his word, we're not glorifying Christ. 
So we want to do this in context. And I would just point you, for example, to Colossians 3. I mean, we're going to talk about things like perversion, sexual immorality, if we're going to talk about um, anger issues or jealousy or gossip or all the many sins that all of us have dealt with at one time or another in our lives. And thanks be to God that he grants us repentance and that he extends grace and mercy to us and that he is sanctifying us while we're in this world, which is part of our salvation, by the way. We can see in Colossians 3 what Paul is saying to the believers at the church in Colossae. He says, put to death, therefore, after he's reminded them, look to Christ. Don't look at the things of this earth, but look to Christ. Don't set your mind on the things of this earth, but look to God. He tells them in verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you see how he shows the difference between an unregenerate person and the things that they do versus the person who is in Christ. And Paul is encouraging these believers. You need to put on Christ. And putting on Christ means that your nature changes. He is reminding believers in this church who obviously are not perfect, but he's reminding them of what God has said. He's reminding them of God's attributes, his nature. And in that, he, he is reminding to what they have been called as believers in Christ. They have been called to have a new nature, not divinity, but they are being called to have a new nature that does not identify as one that is of this world that has not been uh, still found dead in their sins, that, that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying that believer, is working in that believer, and that that believer has submitted themselves to the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. These are, how, these are the ways how you will be changed. And you know, Ryan mentions those things, but then he's always diverting back to deliverance. It's always, well, you need a demon cast out and then you need to sweep, you need to do all this work in order for you to make sure that you don't have these demons come back. And all this does is promote more and more spiritual bondage. It may sound like freedom, but it's a mirage. It is not true freedom. And this is focused on the demonic. I've yet to hear about the freedom in Christ. I've yet to hear the gospel in any of this. And if you listen to it, you won't hear it either. And that's really sad. That is a really sad commentary to say about this type of video. 
when that is to be the foremost thing that a preacher ministers is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins and to give the promise of eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins. My goodness. I mean, if we just go back to scripture in context, there's so much freedom that God has given us, not freedom to sin, but true freedom in him. And that we would not, dear Christian, we would not be so concerned or afraid. Well, what if I do this and a demon enters me? What if my relative did this and now there's a demon in our bloodline? That's mythology. Cling to Christ. Go back to the word of God in context. There is far more freedom and far more peace and joy and truth in, in, within the word of God that will help you. It helps, helps us as believers than to cling to these things that all they do is keep you in spiritual bondage. As Ryan goes on, he, he talked, as I played this in the beginning, that he said um, that casting a demon out doesn't get rid of the dusty thinking. And this is why false teachers can excel, which again, another ironic statement. And so is the power in the prayer or in the living God to whom we pray? That's the question I would have. There's so much focus that he has and others have on, well, you have all this power and that you need to pray. You need to pray in tongues. You need to shout at the devil. You need to take authority and bind the devil and and rebuke him and do. And again, I used to participate in these things for a long time. So is the power in the prayer or is it in the living God to whom we pray? Because we have been given by God the amazing opportunity to come before his throne of grace and to pray in the Holy Spirit, which is to pray according to the will of God. I mean, we have such a grace that's been extended to us to be able to come before his throne, become in prayer and to trust him. And the focus isn't on the power of the prayer. The focus is on the, the God who is all powerful and that he allows us to pray and gives us that opportunity to pray according to his will. That's a beautiful thing that he does. Ryan goes on to reference Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, and he says, we can have godly strongholds, other strongholds, other than demonic strongholds. He cites Romans 12, 2 about renewing your mind. And about 36 minutes in, he makes the reference, as I stated earlier, about Matthew 12, 43 through 45. And he says the devil comes back and looks for an entry back into the dusty places so that he can inhabit. And he says that we stay delivered when we fill our soul with the knowledge of God and break agreement with the devil. So there is this belief in the deliverance movement that you have given the devil a legal right. And that goes back to Derek Prince's teaching, which is not a biblical teaching, by the way, that we're seeing of, of believers giving the devil legal rights or agreeing with the devil. Now, about a little less than 37 minutes in, Ryan gives five suggestions for how to combat having dusty demons. Number one is to discover the truth and its revelation. And he talks about giving there, which that doesn't really have anything to do with the demonic, but he mentions about coming to the truth of revelation and about giving, about giving your finances. Number two, he says, confront the areas of life, not looking like Jesus to get bold in your faith that you need to refuse sickness. That was another interesting one, too. Um, it almost seems, and I would, I would be very certain that this is what he means by this, is that, that many times that sickness is as ascribed to a demon. So you need to refuse sickness, and that goes along with Word of Faith teaching where you don't want to partner up or agree with a doctor's report or anything negative. 
because then you're going to potentially give the devil rights to come in because you're coming in agreement with that thing that you're getting a report of or, or whatever is being negatively confessed. Now, number three was another interesting one that he said, and I want to play this really quick, but he says repentance is number three, the, the third suggestion. And he says breaking agreement with the devil is what repentance is. And then you enter into renewal. I want to play this so you can hear this. Thirdly, you begin to do a, a miraculous thing called repentance where you break agreement. You begin to break agreement with the devil. You begin to break agreement with the lie. And then you enter into a space called renewal where the Holy Spirit's power starts to come in you. And you meditate on the word and pray and let God bring renewal to your repentance. So here's the question. Does repentance have anything to do with breaking agreement with Satan? Is that what we're told in Scripture? That that is the point of repentance is to break agreement with the devil. And then from there, God can renew you. Repentance is towards God. We don't repent because of our agreement with the devil. We repent because of our, our rebellion against a holy God. When we look at what repentance means, for one thing, repentance biblically means the act of changing one's mind. And true biblical repentance goes beyond you having remorse or guilt or regret or feeling bad about your sin. This is even more so than you just turning away from your sin. There is a, a change that happens in you. In Erdman's Bible Dictionary, this is on gotquestions.org. Under, when you look under here, it says, what does the Bible say about repentance? I'll refer you to this as well. So that if, if you need a good definition, this will help you to understand and what the Old Testament and New Testament says about repentance. The Erdman's Bible Dictionary, it's a, it's a reference, includes this definition of repentance. In its fullest sense, it is a term for complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. And as you read in this article, too, they talk about uh, the verb and its related noun metanoia denote true biblical repentance, that it's characterized by four elements. Number one, true repentance involves a sense of awareness of one's own guilt, sinfulness, and helplessness. Number two, true repentance apprehends or takes hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Number three, true repentance means a change of attitude and action regarding sin. Hatred of sin turns the repentant person away from his or her sin to God. Number four, true repentance results in a radical and persistent pursuit of holy living, walking with God in obedience to his commands. So the focus um, of the gospel is repent and believe. We're called to repentance at the life of a born again believer. We continue to repent because we have the Holy Spirit helping us and convicting us and leading us and guiding us and instructing us. And we have the word of God to go to, to help us to understand how to walk in the ways that God has established and commanded by his word for us to walk in as his people. So repentance is a gift that we've been given, and it's not something that's used in, in correlation to uh, you uh, repenting for your agreement with Satan. Your repentance is, is towards God. And number four, create accountability, the process of commanding your actions, having wisdom, he says. And number five, the authority and responsibility. Do not depend on others to get out your demons, is what he says. You have to use your own authority and be responsible. And uh, there's a couple more things I want to play for you before we end today. But one of the things he says about getting out your own demons, I want to play this for you right now. Um, again, this is something he ref he mentions Job twenty two twenty eight. He does not mention it by name, but he mentions this verse. But I want you to hear what he says. I want to say this. 
it is a false paradigm of deliverance when you as a believer outsource all of your authority to someone else. When you think it's everybody else's responsibility to kick your demons out. Now, if you don't know any better, you've not been coming to ATL Hub, you're not a member of the Global Hub, your church doesn't teach, let me be plain, your church might teach on deliverance. There's a lot of great churches that teach on deliverance, but they don't teach on authority. So they have you convinced that the only way you can get free is through their deliverance ministry. And I want to say this. I'm celebrating every leader who is helping people get deliverance. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm championing you. But I'm saying to you this as believers. You have to learn how to deal with your own demons. That's why Jesus gave you authority. The greatest prophet in your life is you. You decree a thing and it shall be established. Jesus said, you speak to the mountain. Jesus said, behold, I give unto you all power and authority. You've got the greatest authority over your life. I would actually like to respond to a couple of things that were said there. Because I do believe in accountability and responsibility. And um, I believe in God's authority that that he has and that I'm under authority. And um, what I would say is that I am not the greatest prophet that's in my life. Jesus Christ is because his word says he is and going on to Job twenty two twenty eight when he says decree a thing and it shall be established unto you and he's using that verse to say you can decree a thing and it will be established that was not something God said that was one of Job's friends that said that and Job's friends were all rebuked by God at the end because of the things that they said that he did not agree with so his friends spoke out of turn And that was not something that is prescriptive for us to say and to claim in our own lives. We cannot do that. We do not decree a thing and it will be established unto you. Job's friend mistakenly said that to Job and telling Job that. So that's another thing. And then when he says that Jesus said that he gave us all power and authority, no, he did not. He did not say that. So I mentioned that before, but again, this is just an example of things to pay attention to. Uh, when when ministers are talking, even solid biblical teachers, I mean, you need to just pay attention. You need to pay attention to what you're being taught. He goes on to Mark 6, and he says that we need a shepherd and not just power encounters. Again, there's some truth here mixed with error that you're going to hear, but you need to pay attention because it, this this will save you a lot of grief and a lot of heartache and a lot of frustration when you just pay attention to what's being taught. And you're not just eating, spirit, so to speak, meta- or metaphorically speaking, what you're being fed, you need to, you're responsible for what you know from scripture. You're responsible for knowing what God's word said as a believer. There's one more clip I want to play for you uh, that he talked about decreeing and declaring and um, speaking in the first person is God. And he says a supernatural edict is being delivered. And he ends with having the people raise their hands and surrender to Jesus's lordship by telling Jesus something. So I want you to hear this and uh, I have some closing thoughts. I hope that this is helpful so far. And so I know sometimes it can be difficult listening to things like this when you've come out of this. But again, it, I hope it's beneficial and helpful to you. I'm saying to every demon, every dusty creature, your days in my life are numbered. Tonight I'm telling you, it's time to get out. Get out of my mind. Get out of my body. Get out of my family. Get out. 
I say get out sickness. I say get out poverty. I say get out lack. I say get out rejection. I say get out perversion. I say get out brokenness. I say get out Jezebel. I say get out religion. I say get out Leviathan. This is the night of my deliverance. Now if you believe it, just stand to your feet and give God glory. Come on. On Facebook, on YouTube, right in your home, begin to give God glory now. Come on and praise Him. I want you to lift your hands in this building and online. Father, we thank you tonight that there's a deliverance anointing that every traumatized place, every damaged place, every broken place is going to receive the ministry of Jesus. That tonight there's going to be a supernatural edict delivered. That freedom is the proclamation. And we surrender our minds, our lives, and our bodies to your Lordship right now. I want you to tell the Lord online in this building, Lord, you can change me. Jesus, I give you permission to do whatever you need to do. I want you to stay there for 30 seconds. Come on, YouTube. Come on, Facebook. Join us. Give him permission right there, Global Hub. Give him permission right there, Global Hub. I want you to consider where it says in the Bible that we give God permission to do anything. That we tell Jesus, we give him permission. That Go, God, you can do whatever you want in me. As believers, we don't belong to ourselves. We were bought at a price. We are not our own. And we are to glorify God. And he's sovereign. He does as he pleases. And and that's what scripture says in the book of Psalms. And so I, I would just present to you that whenever we have this mindset that we give God permission, then we've actually created a, a God of our own imagination. We've created a God that does not agree with Scripture. We don't give God permission. And in believing something like that and saying things like that, and I'm sure at some point in when I was in part of this belief system I and giving God permission, and it's a foolish thing to say. It's, it's a foolish thing uh, to say that we give God permission in His world that He created and that we give Him permission to do with with what he wants to do with us as if he needs our permission to do anything. I I think that's something that you need to consider. And again, it goes back to who do we believe is sovereign here? Who do we believe has all power and authority? Who do we believe can transform us and does transform us and who is strengthening us and, and is changing us and, and um, conforming us into his image and that we've been given so much grace and mercy by a God uh, who doesn't have to do that. He, he owes us nothing except judgment apart from Christ. When we, um, are not placed, we, we have not placed our faith in Christ to save us and to give us the promise of eternal life, we deserve judgment. But God is rich in his grace and mercy by sending his son on, uh, to die for us on the cross and pay for our sins to where we no longer owe a debt when we are in Christ, when we have been reconciled and that we have received him as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and for our redemption, 
and I would just encourage you, if you've been a part of these types of teachings, there is hope in Christ. There is hope in the word of God. There is hope and truth that can set you free from these things. And that is only by the power of God and, and in the truth of his word that that can happen. And so again, I wanted to share this teaching today to, to look at it and to say, go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God and don't be afraid to test these things in accordance with scripture. It doesn't mean that you have a religious spirit. It doesn't mean you have a Jezebel. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means that you are doing what scripture has commanded you to do, which is to test all things according to scripture. And when someone is claiming that they're speaking on behalf of God and they're speaking in the first person like Ryan was doing, there was some of that I didn't even play. I mean, I played some in the intro and I I just want to say this up front. He wasn't claiming to be Jesus. At the same time, he was claiming to speak on behalf of Jesus and saying in the first person, this is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying and speaking on behalf of him. And that is equally egregious. And so we need to be willing to test those things. And if someone is denying you the ability to test those things because they're an apostle or a prophet or whatever title that they want to take, then that that should be a huge red flag to you. If they say, well, you can test what I'm saying. And then when you go to test it and you say, well, you know, I don't understand why what you're saying doesn't agree with this particular verse or passage. And then it becomes a problem. Well, you know, you just have a demon that you need to run away from those, those types of teachings and practices. Because if a leader will not permit you to come and to p- pose questions and to open your Bible and pose questions. And I wish I would have been able to do that at the time. And looking back, I wish I would have been, I wish I could have done that. And, but instead I was biblically illiterate and didn't fully understand and in such deception, but you know, by God's grace, he got me out and, and to him be the glory. It doesn't matter. He gets all the glory for it now. And that's what, that's what matters. And so my goal is to share this with others and to, to snatch them out of, out of this to, to get you out of this and to get you thinking and to help even help some of those that have loved ones or even help those that have friends and family that are in this to have better clarity, to have more understanding about what the belief system is going on and maybe even help you from someone who is in it to know how to talk to them. And we always want to be gracious and loving, patient. Um, my goodness, God was patient with me for years and by his grace, got me out of this. And and I'm nobody special. And, it, and if he does that for me, I know he'll do that for others because he's faithful to pull his sheep out of this. And as for Ryan's title of Dusty Demons and Why Deliverance Stalls Out, I want to make much of our glorious Savior and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to encourage you, dear Christian, that your battle with the demonic is from without. It's not from within. We have been delivered from the tyranny of Satan. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and we've been transferred into his glorious kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13, 14 tells us this. We have such glorious promises in Christ. He is our deliverer. He has strengthened us in our weakness. By his spirit, we are conformed to his image daily. He has saved us through justification and he is saving us in our sanctification. He has delivered us from the penalty of sin. He has delivered us from the power of sin by his spirit. And in in eternity, we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. He is our deliverer. And our deliverance does not stall out because our Savior 
does not stall out. His gospel is sufficient. And so I would have you focus on that. I would have you focus on that. Yes, we do have enemies in this world. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil that we battle against. We know that our flesh is hostile to the things of God. We know that there are temptations of this world that will try to draw us away and try to um, have our hearts drawn towards it than towards God, that we forsake our first love. We know that that the, the devil in this world will try to bring temptation, will try to bring things to pull us away. But we also know that we have assurance in Christ that when we're truly in him, we cannot be snatched out of his grip. And so I want to encourage you in that. I want to encourage you to go back to the word of God, to trust in Christ and to know that none of this stalls out because his promises are forever. They're eternal and that we can rejoice in so much and don't cling to these types of teachings. All these teachings will do and deliverance, the deliverance movement will lead you into bondage. And you'll be looking for yourself for the answers and to yourself being your own deliverer, which is not good news. The good news is found in Christ alone. I hope you found this helpful today. And I look forward to being with you again for a next topic. But until that time, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawnatlovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesixscribe.com where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.